Last week we looked at a, um, a uh, message called The Heart of the Matter and starting that. And uh, basically we started off looking at how that each one of us uh, basically think of ourselves as somewhat good. And like I said, sometimes we, we go around saying, oh, we're bad. But uh, unless someone actually puts you in the corner and you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm bad. And they say, yeah, you are. Then also, what? <laughs> you know, we, we react you know, because we somehow think that, okay, I, I'm, I can say I'm bad, but you can't, you know. And uh, we do have some uh, sin nature problems, and uh, that, that's without uh, question. But I'll, I'll just read you a couple. Of, I'll read you a verse here that we had at the beginning of Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And uh, then we look at the concept last week of how Ultimately, adverse situations will reveal what is in the heart, and the heart reveals the truth of the matter. And so basically, when you go into trouble, it reveals what you're, what's really in your heart. And so the, the adverse situations aren't making the response, they're revealing the response. They're revealing the heart of the matter. And uh, so that's a very important thing, because then we can start taking responsibility. If we're not taking responsibility for our own heart, then we're always blame shifting. Uh, let's just like Adam and Eve, you know, oh, it's the wife, the woman you gave me, and oh, it's the devil made me do it, or it's this person, and my situation, I grew up here, and whatever. And uh, so we blame our anger, we blame our, our uh, life problems on situations rather than realizing that something has crept into our heart. And many times it can be something when we're growing up, we allow influences in our life. Maybe you weren't protected the way we ought to, or uh, maybe we did something, we never dealt with it properly. Maybe we haven't been guarding our heart uh, the way we ought to. And that's why it says, you know, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so we, we have to put a lot of emphasis on protecting, and that's what standards are about. A lot of people think standards are legalism, but it's not. It's protection, you know. Standards don't make you spiritual. They give you the potential to be spiritual as you block out bad influences and as you allow good influences in but they don't make you spiritual but without good standards you're not going to become spiritual because as much as the good that comes in there's bad stuff that's counteracting it and so we have to make sure that we're keeping the bad stuff out so we can put the good stuff in and uh you know like i i was talking about i don't know if it was last week but uh your heart is like a switch right it's you only have one one decision to make where your heart will be set. That's just it. And, and then fix it there. You know, my heart is fixed, oh God, you know. And you're out, your heart is, is fixed on the world and what you can get down here, or your heart is fixed on heaven, on the things of God. Set your affections on those things which are above, not those things that are on the earth. And so basically it's just a switch. You can't do anything with your heart. In fact, you can't even fix your heart. You can't even clean your heart, but you can set your heart. And then the Lord, when the heart is set on him, then he has the power to be able to cleanse it and to put things into it that need to be there. But if you switch your heart to the world, the Lord stands back. He says, I, I can't do nothing with that because it no longer is pointing towards me. Uh, and that's why he says your whole purpose is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You know, set your affections on those things which are above Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. And so it's really about where your heart is set. 
your response to adverse situations reveal where your heart has been set. It reveals it. It doesn't make it happen. It reveals what is happening in your heart, all right? And so that's the basic premise of what we looked at uh, last week, like in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Amen? So whatever you're thinking in the heart is a thinker. You, you think in your heart. I know we think here in our mind, but our mind only accesses information. It only allows information in and it stores information. Your heart is really what you believe. That's really what you're thinking about. That's really what's taking your attention is what's in your heart. In your mind is everything you've learned. I've learned this in church and that in church. I know I'm not supposed to think like this, but, you know, so I already know I'm not supposed to think like this, but I am thinking like this. So as you think in your heart, that's what you are. Not what you've learned up here, but what you have allowed to sink down into here. Amen? And so that's why it says, uh, as he thinketh in your heart. So your heart, one of the, one of the uh, um, I guess the functions of it is to think. And you think in your heart. All right? Remember last week you looked at the three scenarios. You know, which one, <laughs> you know, uh, works for us. And the one, uh, somebody got cut off on the highway and they... Um, they immediately reacted, they got angry, and they thought, oh, that young teenager, especially as he drove by and smirked at me and, you know, and uh, cut me off and I, mixed my, I missed my exit and so forth, and uh, boy, I just wish that the police would pull him over or one day he'll hit the ditch and then he'll really learn what this is all about. And that's as far as we get because our, our goal, like we were talking about, is getting to the airport. So my goal is, I am doing this, and this person is keeping me from doing this. And so it's all about your way. And so if your goal is something, and you make that your way, this is my way, and whatever gets in my way, that's what I get angry about. And anger is the only way we can respond to things that, that are our way, you know? And then there's the other one we looked at where... Same scenario, except you got your pastor in the passenger seat. <laughs> now you're not yelling at the guy. Now you're smiling. Oh, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Oh, boy, I should have turned sooner. Uh, you know, we got all the right words and so forth. But as soon as we drop him off and we go home, it's like, oh, that guy, I don't want to. And we go home, the first person we see when we walk in the door, we tell him about this young teenager and how that he should hit the ditch and da 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 and, and so forth. And so both of those are very selfish. They're very my way. The one is concerned about the way I look to somebody, but no concern for the person in the vehicle at all. And the third way we looked at is, of course, the one that many times, uh, very few times we get to be like, and that is looking at that person and praying for them and I uh, hope this week maybe you thought about that as you were driving down the highway. You know, a couple of times I did, and I thought this person coming out, oh, Lord, save that person's soul, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you make it a prayer, and you, uh, you know, Lord, you know, I don't want to get mad about this. And you, you learn to submit yourself. And that's really what that's about. It's not about you, you're so spiritual, you pray. No, it's about you in that moment when the anger is welling up. It's for you to choose a different way. A different way. And that's God's way. 
You have to choose God's way. If you keep going your way, as much as you dress it up, as much as you uh, fake it, it's still your way. <laughs> and you still got the anger there. And it doesn't take much for that adverse situation to, to really reveal what's going on in your heart. Amen? So we looked a little bit at James. And I just want to read through this. Uh, verses 1 to... Um, well, let's go to verse 7. Now let's go to verse 8. It says in verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Where do they come from? Where's the wars? Where's the fightings? Where's the anger? Where's the battles? Where did that come from? It comes from your lusts. Your own lusts. Amen? And so verse 2, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Because we know that anger, uh, following your own way, never brings about what you want it to bring about. No matter how much you fight and fuss, no matter how angry you get, oh, I'm going to teach that guy, guess what, at the end of the day, you're not going to teach him anything. In fact, you're showing how stupid you are. So it's really a dead end, you know? So the Lord is saying, these, these, the anger you have and all these problems are coming from something inside of you, your lusts, and that's what's being revealed, and you think, I'm going to continue to fight, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to do it, and no matter what you do, you don't get anything back. Nothing is produced through this. You might get somebody a bloody nose. You might uh, you know, really give them a piece of your mind. But really, in the end, what did you really gain? You know, there's no God's blessing on that. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that can come back from that that's going to help you. And so um, it says, because you ask not. It says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Lord, make that guy hit the ditch so he learns his lesson. See, that's not about him, that's about you. That's about your lust. My longing for, for revenge, for, for something to happen, to make me feel better. I get, you know, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so God will never answer that kind of, and you can dress it up all you want and say, the Lord, I prayed and the Lord told me to. You're a liar. <laughs> You're a liar. The Lord does not tell you to do that. Yeah. Amen. The Lord will say, submit to me. Submit to me. Then we can produce something that will be a blessing. Amen? And so, going on here, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that world aspect there is your way. That's what you want that's what you want to accomplish. It has nothing to do with what God wants for your life. It has everything what you want to do. And when you put yourself in that position, you become an enemy of the Lord. And you also become a prideful person. And the Bible says that he resists the proud. He pushes you back. And that's why I'll read on here. It says, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I like the next verse as well. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Amen. And then it goes on to say, Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy, but who art thou that judgest another? Amen. And so it has a lot to do with the inner lusts of your heart, but when you apply anger to to this context here, it really makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, our, our lust, our, the lust to get what we want produces anger. Every time you get angry, it's a lust to get what you want. It's a lust to get what you want. And God is not in it, ever. He's never in it. You can say, God wants me to be angry. No, he does not. Amen. I'm not talking about being firm like you are with your kids. They sometimes need to know you're make, you mean business. Amen. And the Bible, even though I was reading that, uh, where's the first Timothy? talking about the Cretans, the slow bellies, the liars. And he says, rebuke, rebuke them sharply. Amen? So you can rebuke sharply. And the Bible says, in the preaching, it says, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, with all long-suffering and doctrine. But that doesn't mean you're getting mad and blowing your top. Amen? But you got to be firm about the truth. And you got to approach sin. And you got to deal firmly with sin so people know that it's, it's serious. But anyways, I'm going to move on here. Uh, I know we went through a lot of stuff there, talking about the scenarios and, and so forth, and how that the devil doesn't make you do it. Amen. Uh, we looked at the example of the woman that is desiring a husband, which isn't wrong. So the, what happens is the devil uses a desire that's inside of you and wants a husband. But what will happen is the devil will come and get you to look in the wrong place for that husband. And so now that lust has become a sin. Uh, so there's natural desires but natural desires can easily mutate into sinful desires. And sometimes we have a, we ha, we, we got to be careful because we can't differentiate when this is flipping over to sin here, you know. And that's why you need Bible principle. So uh, a young woman looking for a husband has to go to the scripture and find out what kind of husband does the Lord want me to have. And that will determine how my parameters of what I'm going to do in this situation so it's not just about me having a husband, it's about me having the right husband that the Lord wants me to have, amen? And so that's a very important uh, thing we need to understand, living by principle, you know, and principled uh, decisions by scripture. And so when you do that and you go above the will of God, uh, that's self-will, that's iniquity, that's sin, and, and that will always bring repercussions. You're, you're, you're sowing to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh corruption you know and so it's futile to to do that to try to get what you want because the outcome is never a blessing you know and you oh i finally got what i wanted well i don't think you really knew what you should want first you know you got what you wanted but what should you have wanted that want should have been submitted into the hands of god it should have been his wants should have been his desires And that's why he says, you know, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. But those desires he only gives you are once you have submitted your life into the hands of the Lord. Because my desires now become his desires. I desire what he wants. 
And when you want what God wants and then you ask for it, he gives it to you every time. <laughs> Amen? So it's not about you fulfilling your lust. It's about you fulfilling the Lord's desires for your life. Amen? That's what it's about. And so, i got to remember where we were at here, but the root of anger, uh, angry behavior, reveals our desire to govern our own lives on our own terms rather than submit to God and live our lives on his terms. You got that, Ben? You know where we are in the outline there? Um, go down to the root of anger. It's big letters. <laughs> All right, there you go. I kind of go halfway down to the, now he's trying, where are you? Amen. Anyways, so angry behavior reveals our desire to govern our own lives on our terms rather than submit to God and live our lives on his terms. All right. Uh, number two, at, our, at its root, Anger is a desire to exalt and worship self and is a refusal to yield to the authority and the lordship of Christ. And that's why in James 4.4, it talks about ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's what he's talking about there. He says, you're refusing to yield to me. You're not submitting to your bridegroom, amen, to your husband, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore now you've become an adulterer in the Lord's eyes, and the enemy of God. Amen? So we become spiritually unfaithful when we pursue our own interests rather than God's interests. And it depends on ourselves to decide what, we, what must be done about that type of difficult situation. Uh, remember I gave the example last week about the woman that was walking down the street and she was wondering why her life was so messed up. She's older already. She's never really been blessed, and she's really depressed about things. And she asked God, God, and she was a Christian, God, why? Why am I, my life, why am I not blessed? And she saw the two kids on the side of the road, and she just felt led to ask, because the one kid was sitting there. You know what the word brumsh means? Neil does. Brumsh is like, like um, what's that? Poochy lip. Yeah, poochy lip, it's a German word. <laughs> you know, it's about, you know, I didn't get my way, you know, type of thing. And the other one was like the older brother or something just standing there. And so she felt led to ask the older brother, like, so what's wrong with him? Oh, he, he just didn't get his own way. Then it's like the Lord just said, ding. Your problem your whole life has been that you're not getting your own way. And that's why you're not happy. That's why you're not blessed, you know. So you got to ask yourself, are you really living your life for the Lord's way or I've been living my life for my own way, just to do my own thing. And, and then I'm angry all the time. You, you will be angry when you look for your own way. It's a wrong way to go. Amen. And so, number three, the moment we give our desires to the Lord and our heart's greatest desire is to be governed by Christ, we remove the fuel that keeps the coals of anger burning. You see that? So, the moment you say, Lord, no longer will I live what I am desiring to have. I want to now live my life according to your desires for my life. When you do that, you've just taken away the wood, the fuel of anger. Amen? It's gone. <laughs> because you'll no longer, in that situation, want your way <laughs> on the highway. You'll rather think of things like, you know what, Lord, what are you doing by allowing this to take place? What are you trying to accomplish in my life here? Do you want me to pray for this person? Uh, what is it? 
you know, and to live in that realm of just simply desiring what the Lord wants in every minute of your life. I've given you an example of the one time, and I'm not saying I'm super spiritual, but the one time I was. <laughs> when my van broke down at the gas station in Kenora, and I just filled up a gas, and I went in there, and it was just dead, just dead as a doornail. I was like, what in the world? And you know what? Immediately, it's like the Lord just smote me and said, there's a reason. And it was through that I was able to lead that person that boosted me to Christ. I was able to go to his house, lead him to the Lord. And through him, three or four families were born again. And so if I would have got mad, oh, you car, oh, started kicking. Number one, the guy behind me would have just driven away and said, this guy's crazy, <laughs> you know. But that would have been my way. But because in that moment, I remember just sitting beside my van saying, Lord, you know, I tried phoning. I tried getting on the phone and say, try and call one of the men of the church and Nobody answered, and I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know, then it just dawned me, Lord, why am I here? Why am I here? And I began looking. See, that's where the desires were placed in a different direction. And all the fuel of anger was, was removed, you know? And that's when the Lord opened up the door for me to help that man who was going through the divorce and had lost so much weight and so forth. And so it's so important that we think this way and we learn to develop our, our mindset in this direction. You know, if you don't do it on purpose, it doesn't happen automatically. You're not going to all of a sudden just, it's not just going to dawn on you, <laughs> you know. You've got to study, you've got to know what the Bible says, you've got to know what he wants. You've got to know that he wants your desires to be his desires, amen. And then you submit to that on a daily basis and that's where your anger disappears, and, and folks, I know the world's got all kinds of ways to deal with anger. They don't have a clue, man. They really don't have a clue. I give them a lot of credit. They put a lot of money into it. They got a nice-looking nice package programs, videos and streams and uh, seminars and <laughs> you name it, they got it. But it really just comes down to that. Submitting yourself to the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. If you can successfully do that, you will defeat your anger. All right? So anger cannot coexist with a trust in God's loving, shepherding care or with a fervent love for God and others. Every day, just, Lord, you're taking care of me today. Well, that person, look what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. <laughs> no matter where you are, no matter what has happened, you still have the same God, the same loving shepherd. <laughs> Anger cannot coexist with your trust in a loving shepherd. It cannot. The moment you're angry, you're saying, I no longer believe that God is taking care of me. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> Amen. I'm doing my own thing. And so, nor with a fervent love for God and others. That means you, you can talk about the love of God if you're an angry person. You don't love God. You can't. You can't because you don't submit. You don't submit to him. And so, until we have a mature knowledge of Christ's loving and gracious nature, we will never believe that his desire for us is better for us than our own desires. <laughs> you know? And so it's one thing to say, oh yes, God, God, God. But it's another thing to say, you know what? Uh, I need to learn this because I don't know Jesus. You know? All of us are in a process of discipleship. We're all in a process of learning who this Jesus is. 
you know? And so it's not about us criticizing the next guy where they are in their growth and saying, well, they still got problems. Well, you do too. I mean, you got problems and they got problems and that's what the house of God is for, amen? Let's just submit to them. Submit to them and learn about him. And so the Bible says in Colossians 3.12, it says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Amen. So the example is always Christ following him, uh, learning his gracious nature, and then submitting to that. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, it talks about how that we're changed into his image from glory to glory. Amen? That means as you perceive this, as you submit to this, being a spirit-filled believer, you change into that image. You know, you got to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's your whole your whole goal in life right now. Everything that you do for God, everything that you become for God is totally based on whether you will conform to the image of Jesus. And if you reject that, you say, no, I'm going to have my own way. You can pretend like you're serving God, but you're not. You're really not. I am not if I'm just pretending. Amen? It's got to be real. It's got to be real. I got to be in the process of change and so forth. And the Lord has grace, you know. <laughs> Look at Israel. When they left the promise, when they left Egypt, many times they murmured. And you know what? The Lord, He didn't smite them down. Many times at the beginning there, He gave them grace and said, okay, let me teach you a lesson. But you know, by the time they got to the border of the will of God of Kadesh Barnea, he says, now you guys have everything you need to know. And they started murmuring again. <laughs> and that's when God said, you know what? It's time for me to really mean business and show you the fruit of that type of heart. Amen? And that's when judgment came. So when a person is growing, <laughs> we allow them to grow and have growing pains. But at some point, they've got to learn there needs to be a submission to the Lord and you've got to move forward for Him or you know what? You're going to miss what God has for you. You're going to miss it. You know, the whole goal of our life is to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know I'm preaching, Pastor, you've got problems. Yep, <laughs> you, know, you do too, you know. And that's why this type of thing isn't about you looking at the next guy. If that's all you can do, you're further off than you thought of being like Christ. You've got to look at yourself. You've got to look at yourself. You've got to examine and evaluate your own heart where you are at. There ought to be no other person on your mind tonight than you. And if there's somebody else on your mind, you've missed the boat so far. So far. I don't even know if you've begun the journey yet. <laughs> Amen. It's got to be where it's about you and what God wants for your life and submit to that. Amen. Amen. That's what the house of God is for. Amen. And so the key to this is changing our thinking. Changing our thinking. The battlefield is the mind, and the offensive weapon is God's word. Only God's strategy will free us from enslaving sin the moment we believe it and appropriate it. And so strategy is important, 
but not your strategy. <laughs> Sometimes I look at people's strategies and say, what are you, <laughs> what do you do? You're learning from the wrong camp, my friend, <laughs> amen. You're on the wrong side of the army here. You're taking satanic tactics and you're bringing it into your life and expecting results. It ain't gonna happen. You've gotta submit to the Lord's strategy, amen. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then it goes on to say, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what it's all about. It's about you catching your thinking. Like I say, when you're driving down the highway, wherever you may be, and that thought comes in, we have got to learn to analyze that. It says, is this reality? Is this a real thought that has real ramifications for the Lord? Is this something I should submit to? Or is this maybe just my emotions playing on me, my anger, my bitterness, and now I'm entertaining thoughts that I ought not have, and I'm allowing those imaginations to be uplifted or exalted above the Scripture? And that's wrong. You can't do that. If, you live your, if you, you're lifting your thoughts above the scripture, you're lifting your thoughts above God. The Bible says that he magnifies his word above his name. So you've got his name, you've got his word, and then you've got me. <laughs> you know, fool, <laughs> dummy, you're not going to win that battle because if he's got his word above his name, you don't belong on top of the word. You belong underneath his name. Yeah. Amen. In submission. And so, so he's saying cast down imaginations. We need to catch those thoughts, put them down. Imagination can be many things. It can be a false doctrine. Every doctrine we believe is either in line with the scripture or it's not in line with the scripture. If it's not in line with the scripture, it's imagination. It, it came in somewhere. Maybe you caught on to somebody else's imagination, but it's still imagination. It's not truth. And behind every idea that is not truth is a demon. Because the devil is the father of all lies. He, he, he creates and motivates every lie to exist in this world. If we grab onto that and live according to that, we are following Satan himself. And we are actually falling into his image not into the image of Christ. The image of Christ, we need truth. Truth. That's what brings us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, number one, what we choose to think about and what we conclude in our minds has a powerful impact on what we will do and how it will affect our life for good or bad. So that is very important. The, your philosophies. You know, sometimes I feel I'm on a different plane than other people. You know, they're talking about, well, this is what I believe and this is what I want. I'm saying, well, that may be how you do it, but I can't exist there. I, I can't operate there. I can't, I can't share this with you. And that's why many times there's a separation that takes place. You can't, you, you can't fellowship light and darkness. You can't have a communion with that. There has to be a separation that takes place. And so that's why there's churches that have, that, that have different doctrines. You know, if someone comes in here and they say, well, I don't like the King James Bible. 
well, this probably isn't the church for you. Because I do. <laughs> We've got a whole bunch of people here that do love the King James Bible. Amen? And the Word of God. And, and believe in the preservation of Scripture and believe in all those things. So if you don't believe those things, then what are you doing? Or you're saying, I don't really know. This is just what I've been told. Well, then submit and learn the truth and allow your mind to be molded into, the, into a truthful thinking because it has a great impact on, on what we will do and what and how it will affect our life is what you think. Amen? So, the mind. The mind is more than a physical organ called the brain. It's not just the electrodes and going on up here. It's, it's also immaterial. It includes the immaterial part of man that seeks to understand by processing thoughts into a rational order and then drawing conclusions and acting upon them. People that have the gift of teaching, they will know how to organize their thoughts very well. A preacher, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, preachers, many times, get up there and just kind of <laughs> and all over the place. They're not necessarily a teacher, though they do teach, but their gift may not necessarily be teaching, you know, but their gift is preaching. They know how to get to your heart, you know. I always say the teacher goes to your mind and the preacher goes to your heart. There's two different directions. And if you're a good preacher teacher, you're hitting the mind and the heart at the same time, <laughs> you know. But that's important. But the mind, the mind is immaterial. And so uh, our thoughts and influence produce behavior. Yet our behavior also influences and produces thoughts. The one feeds off the other. <laughs> Amen. So what you believe in your mind will produce your actions. But when you start producing actions and doing actions, you also begin to feed your mind. And so it brings you into a very dark place if that's the wrong thing. It's a, it's a, a cycle that keeps growing and gets darker because the one is feeding off the other. So we can't have that. We, we've got to learn to have good thoughts. Amen. And so our good thoughts produce good actions, and our good actions produce good thoughts, and our good thoughts produce good actions, and our good actions produce good thoughts. Amen? And you become stronger in your Christian life. But your bad thoughts will create bad actions, and your bad actions will create bad thoughts, and you will continue to go darker and darker and darker and darker. Amen? So we got to stop this process if we're in the wrong direction in regards to that. The foundation of our core beliefs is formed as we engage our minds in drawing conclusions about God, others, ourselves, and the world in which we live in. That's why many times as a pastor, a pastor thinks differently than many times most of the members. We look differently at the church than you do. Now, if you're not going to give yourself to understand the church then we will never be on the same wavelength. And that's why it can cause problems in a relationship. Because they don't understand why a pastor would do this. Well, that's because you have not concluded in your mind how a church functions according to Scripture and the important principles that keep it perpetuating and moving forward. In fact, most people don't even care. If we could close the doors tomorrow, as long as we get our way, we'd say, oh, too bad, something wrong with that preacher. <laughs> That's not the way I think. 
I think I'm in this for the long haul and I'm trying to maintain a church that continues even past my death. And for that, we need purity and we have to fight for that. If we don't, we lose it. We'll lose the blessing of God. We'll get together and we'll just, oh, let's open up the Bible. (laughs) We don't really live it. We're not really believing it. Amen? The world doesn't even know what a church looks like that believes the Bible anymore. You understand that? So, I mean, either we're going to do this right or not do it at all. Like I always tell young people, you know, you don't understand your parents. You don't understand how they're thinking. And so you spend all your time pressuring your parents to let you, allow you to do things that they don't want you to do. And you know, many times, because what we do is we get tired of the process, tired of the fight, we begin to give in. But what we're also giving in on is the future of our child. See, that's where your way has been battling with God's way and your way is winning. Because your way is having your children like you today. You understand that? It's a big problem in discipline of kids. You know, we gotta be, a lot, we gotta, you know, Child, this hurts me more than it hurts you. They, oh, yeah, right. Well, really, it does. Because <laughs> it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of, lots you got to put into bringing your family forward for the Lord. you got to deal with a lot of things, and you got to constantly deal with it. It's like every day you're dealing with stuff, you know? I tell people even about a pastoral, I mean, Brother Bourgeois could maybe, you know, amen this. You know, we go through the same struggles that a normal family does, except everybody is putting a magnifying glass on it. <laughs> and they're using it as an excuse why I'm allowing my children to do the wrong thing. No, no, you gotta have grace, man. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta allow the process to go forward for all of our families, all of us. And make sure that in your decisions, you're not compromising your own, your own children's welfare for the future. Amen? Amen? Continue the process. You know, folks, I don't sit here and, and look over, oh, they should do this. Folks, you're all in the process. I'm getting one snapshot of time when we're in church. You are too. Oh, that's a bad family. You don't have a clue what that family is. You get one snapshot and you think you know it all. You are so full of yourself, <laughs> you know, so proud that somehow you think you know something. Yeah. You know nothing. Yeah. Nothing. You know, we've got to learn. We've got to learn to submit ourselves to the mind of God. Amen. See, that's what I mean. Like, there's so many things like that that you've got to think deeper than just the satanic strategy that we've learned growing up in this world. The world is very simple. I want my way. God's way is different. 
There's a process of growth and change. There's a way we behave towards others. There's a way we look at God. There's a way we look at ourselves. And all those things have to be learned and we got to put them into play at the same time and continue growing and growing and growing for the sake of our place before the Lord and also for our family's future. Amen. It's all about this thing right here in your mind. Got to let the Lord change it. If the, if the foundation is faulty, our future choices and actions will be faulty as well. And so it takes time to build. It takes time to put those foundations into place. Uh, the more we make poor choices that reinforce false beliefs, the more we are prompted to make even more poor choices until we become imprisoned by the bars or beliefs of our own making. What happens? We've got to ask ourselves, why isn't this working? Like that lady walking down the street. Lord, why am I not happy? Why have I not, why have I not achieved what I, is bringing me fulfillment in life? Why am I not f- experiencing your joy? Right? And come to that conclusion, it's not anybody else but me. I have been living my life for my own way. And Christians, you can be saved and live 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years and meet the Lord and realize that you never truly submitted your life to Him. Because it's difficult. It costs something. And you know, many times it's the first time that we got to pay a price for the Lord is when we've made our decision, no, I'm not going to do that. And we've just flipped back to our own way. But now we've dressed it up in spirituality. Our ways, oh, you know, I'm, I'm following. <laughs> Proof is in the pudding, man. How are you handling life? How are you facing the problems? How are the adverse irritations of life affecting you? <laughs> Amen. Can you, be, can you have irritations without losing your religion? <laughs> you know? Can we, in the moment, understand that the Lord's got a purpose in, for, for my life in, a, in this problem, you know? Sometimes that's all that carries me through as I go through something. Lord, you've got something you're doing in my life first. And then you've got something you're doing in my family's life second. You know, I tell people in ministry, you know, I look back at my first eight years, my first ministry, and I thought, Okay, what did I do, God? <laughs> you know, what did I produce? I don't know, Brother Bourgeois, if you think the same way, you look back and say, hey, where's my uh, coupons I'm supposed to clip off of that, amen? Well, the Lord's taking care of that. You don't know, you don't know. But you know, all you can really take away from that is that the greatest work that I'm aware of that God did in my first year, eight years of ministry is what he did in me. And if you can't see that, then you don't see very much of anything. That means if you're not changing, then God's not doing anything with you. (laughs) Why? Why isn't he doing? Because you're doing your own thing. And you're not changing, you're not submitting, you're not conforming. You should be different, amen? This year should be different than last year. You should learn some things. You should grow. Your mind should be changing. And that change of belief, that change of mind process changes your behavior. Amen? It has to happen. 
If you don't, you keep making poor choices, you'll just reinforce all the false beliefs you've ever taken on. And those beliefs will become your prison for your unhappiness, <laughs> you know? You're never truly going to have joy. And everybody else is to blame. Everybody else. Bitter at everybody. Mad at everybody. You know, when really, Scripture will not promote that philosophy. You're believing a wrong idea. Because that is not biblical. (laughs) It's biblical to take responsibility for yourself. If it's still somebody else, I'm sorry. You're not following Bible. You're not truly a Christian that is following God. Really, you're not technically a Christian. You may be saved, but not a Christian. A little Christ. Amen? So the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God, it's only revealed as my mind becomes renewed. And without that renewal, there is no revelation of God's will for my life. You can't just pick it out of the hat. I've seen that in Bible college many times. People come, oh, this is what I'm going to do for God. I look at them, yeah. (laughs) Just hold on to that for a while. Four years later, these people are different. It's all of a sudden they're saying, you know what? You know what I thought, my hot shot, Christianity was going to bring me here. It really is not the reality. And I saw many young men that, that got attracted to powerful preaching and powerful preachers and so forth, and I want to be like that, and, and they, you know, I'm called. And, but by the end of submitting their life to Christ, they realized the will of God isn't me preaching. It's doing something else. But sometimes it's me, it's the opposite way, you know. I remember I had an uncle, um, he passed away, but he was called to preach when he was young. And um, he never submitted. And I always wondered, you know, I went over to their house and I saw them and he had a nice farm and lots of kids and so forth, but he was so, he was very t- intense. He was always like, you know, hey, go get that. And I'm just, whoa, you know, he's just so intense. And ultimately, at the end of his life, the, his wife got so tired of it. She says, you know what? I've got to have at least a few years of peace in my life. And she says, I want you out of my home. So he spent the last years of his life alone. <laughs> you know, he just, because he wouldn't submit his mind. <laughs> He wouldn't submit his heart to the Lord to be renewed, to change, to become that preacher that God wanted him to be. And he would have found that peace and joy and that fulfillment. But he he had a constant aggravation, constant uh, lack of peace in his life because he was not submitted to the Lord. Finally, even his family says, you know, we can't do nothing with this guy. You don't want to be like that, (laughs) you know. But that's what I mean. In your mind, you've got to learn to... Allow your mind to become what Christ wants it to be and not what the world wants it to be. Your career is great. I mean, wonderful. Go forward in that. Learn what you can. uh, Become successful. But I'll tell you something. That's not the mind that the Lord is talking about. It's talking about that submissive mind to the things of God. 
And then you'll find that all those things you learned maybe in school and say, well, maybe I don't really need those things. <laughs> you know, I need a whole different set of skills here that the Lord wants me to learn, you know. And so very important. So when we were lost, we were openly defiant against the laws of God. We exhibited attitudes like Satan, self-will, rebellion. Like the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 2, where in a time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We all were like that. Amen. Well, yeah, that sounds bad for those guys. Well, you were one of them. You know, you were just this little, little, uh, you know, pawn in Satan's game, uh, walking in a current of the world, thinking that you had it all together and that you're so great, and yet you're just a little, you know, doing what the devil wants you to do. That's what we were without Christ. But to change that, have Christ come in. And for you <laughs> to be in a state of mind where you're submitting the thoughts of your mind, you're submitting the goals of your life, you're submitting the ambitions that you have, everything that you are, everything that the world thinks is important to a person to achieve, you're taking all of that and you're putting it in what God wants. <laughs> that, my friend, is the submitted life, crucified resurrected life. Amen? To go from that to that is an, is an amazing miracle. Remember what you were before you were saved? <laughs> well, number one, you were miserable. But you were miserable because you were, you were living according to your own lust, your own desires, what you wanted. And you were miserable because of that. <laughs> After you get saved, we need to understand the process here is for you to run away from that. <laughs> Not to continue this dualism of, oh, I believe God, but I still want my own way. That's what's called carnality. <laughs> and so we have to submit that. We have to repent of that. We need to submit that into the Lord's hands. So what we believe determines our behavior. And I'll be done here. Uh, Job. Satan believed that Job was upright because of the blessings that God bestowed upon him. Therefore, the Lord gave him permission to take it from him. So the devil's looking at Job and saying, you know what, the only reason that he is the way he is is because God gave him all that he has. And that was his mindset when he approached the Lord about Job. That's why in Job 1 verse 11, it said, but put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So he thought the only difference between Job cursing God and blessing God was the possessions that he had within his hand. But because Job had the right faith, the right faith, he had the re right reaction to the trials and the loss. Right? Naturally, naturally, if he would have been uh, a walking according to the course of this world without Christ, without faith, Job was right, or Satan was right. Yes, if you take everything he has, he probably will curse God because you have many people that are walking around cursing God 
because God took something from me. I've met many people in my life. I remember one time there was a guy, he, he was mad at God because God took his mother. She died. And that's God's fault. <laughs> well, that's a statement of a, a mind and a heart that's apart from God. You, you can't sit there and say, well, no, let me tell you. No, what you need to tell him is, can I tell you about Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary? Can I show you how to be saved? Because until they're saved, <laughs> there's no way they're going to understand why God would take something from them, and that's a blessing. Amen. But we as Christians, that's what we're supposed to know. That's how we're supposed to live. That's what Job exemplified to us. Um, Job 1 verse 20 says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle <coughs> and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord take, hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You know, what do you see there? You see, Job believed God was good. He believed God was good. Job believed God had a plan, though he didn't understand it. See, that takes faith. <laughs> to believe that God is real and that God is good takes faith to believe that God, this good God that loves you has a plan for you, even though you don't understand it, is also something that takes faith. And that's why he could endure the loss and continue to endure the suffering that he was going through. Without that, he'd be mad. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> this isn't my way. This isn't my choice right? But he says, you know, this is God's choice. And if it's God's choice, that's good enough for me. Wow, what a powerful faith Job had, amen? So, uh, Satan believed Job was upright because of Job's health. In Job 2, 5, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy faith, face. Most people, when they face a natural disaster, they say, well, at least we have our health. <laughs> you ever see that on the news? Oh, well, at least we're at least we're here. At least we have our health. You know, or they, we lost our house, but we have our health. Well, what happens when you lose your house and then you lose your health? What can you say? At least I. The lost person doesn't know what to put in that blank. <laughs> at least there's no hope. <laughs> but a Christian, at least I know God's got a plan. At least I know God is good. At least I know he cares about me. So he's taken everything. Do you understand? That is so important for us to understand. See, how you behave has everything to do with what you believe. And your good behavior, bad behavior is dependent upon what you believe. He also lost his wife. Job 2 verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> she lost her faith. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. <laughs> this guy had integrity. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God 
And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He had it all figured out. He says, you know what? Do I expect God to coddle me my whole life? Do I think that God's only going to do good things that don't hurt me? Or isn't God going to also allow things that are going to be very difficult? And so it changed, his belief changed the way he looked at his problems and how he reacted. But that belief, it can't just be Sunday school belief. It can't just be here. It's got to be heart. It's got to be in your heart. Amen. So that when the trial hits, you automatically say, yes, it's okay. I mean, God, is it, it hurts. Laura, it, really, if you were to ask my you know, opinion, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? I mean, he, he knows it already. Don't be scared of telling him, you know, in your prayer, Lord, I don't like this. But I believe you, trust you, it's going to be okay, amen? See, that's the only thing that's going to make us like Christ. It's the only thing that's going to make us control how our reactions are. It's the only thing that's going to take away our anger. Eternal things were as real to Job as material things. That's the key. Once that takes place, what you'll see when you come in this room is not chairs and a preacher. What you're going to see is the body of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see his eyes over it. And you're going to see his will in it. It changes everything. Amen. And if it doesn't, it's just a bunch of chairs in a room. That's all it is. You know, we've got to start letting God change our minds. And we're not going to, we're going to continue on doing our own thing every day of our life. <laughs> and then when the trials come, anger, frustration, irritation, all these things. Oh, I'm not angry. I'm just a little frustrated. Well, that's anger. Amen. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm just irritated. Well, that's anger. You're just dressing up nicely because you're, you're concerned what people think about you because you're still living for you, not for God. Amen? He says in Job 19, 25, For I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he, he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He saw it as real as the material things in front of him, he saw his Redeemer living and standing on the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Even though my brain turns into mush and the worms go in and take away all my decision-making ability uh, like you would see on this earth, <laughs> I know this, that I'll see God face to face. That's a statement, man. I know. <laughs> I know. Do you know? <laughs> you ask somebody, do you know if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know? <laughs> the reason why they don't know is they don't have their mind changed. 
once our minds are changed and we're saved and we know we're going to heaven, then there's a lot of other things we need to know about. <laughs> Even about heaven. <laughs> about our future, what God has for us, the, the local assembly, our family within it, and all these different things. There are so many things to know, but most people don't care. They don't even want to learn about it. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> you think about it. A pastor that, that operates in a place like this gives his life to understanding it. And yet you got people walking in the back door for the first time telling him, this is what you ought to do. <laughs> yet you go into their garage and you read one book on how to take apart a motor or how to tune up a vehicle and you tell them, let me tell you what to do. They say, what school did you go to? Folks, do you understand there's a reason why God places a man in a church? The same reason why God puts you as a father in a home. Because he wants you to know and understand what his purpose is for that. And once you discover it, you submit to it and you give yourself to it. And then what you believe becomes reality. And that reality is your faith. And that faith, even though you don't see it, it's there. And you make decisions your whole life based upon what the Bible says because it's just as real as your, this pulpit in front of my face. And that's why we deal with things. That's why we make decisions. That's why we deal with our sin. Because we know the Bible says that we will reap what we sow. And we know that's real and true. And it's coming to pass. And the seeds are in. And the crop is rising. Amen. As real as it is something in front of you today. <clears throat> if your mind will not change, you'll miss all of it. Anger, 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 frustration, irritation. <clears throat> and you will lose. You'll lose it all. Every bit of purpose that God has designed for your life is going to be gone. You know what? I believe a minority of believers are actually going to do the will of God. That's what I believe. <clears throat> I believe in a room like this, a minority will truly do what God wants them to do. And the rest will live this du dualism. <laughs> you know, my way, God's way. <laughs> Talk about God's way, but really it's my way. When are we going to learn? When are we going to change our minds? When are we going to submit to God? When are we going to let him... Be, put the desires of his heart in our heart. Amen. Some people think, well, you're just not thinking right. <laughs> no, it's because many times because I am thinking right. It's just you're thinking so differently. And maybe there's sometimes in your life you're thinking right and I'm not. But all I need to do is make sure that my thinking is God's mind, Christ's mind on the matter. Amen. That's how we deal with anger. It's not just, you know, let's lasso them wild stallions and let's make sure we hold them back now. You know, no, sir. You're going to put all of your energy into holding back those stallions every day. See, I did good today. I didn't blow up on anybody. Well, yeah, but all your energy went into pulling back the stallions. 
And whether you like it or not, sooner or later, some situation is going to cause you to drop the reins. We've got to submit to the Lord. Take away the fuel from the fire. Amen? And God will change our lives. Let's bow our heads. Powerful truth. Well, I'll tell you something. I wish I'd have known this stuff years ago. Years and years and years ago. Oh, some of you young people, you've got such a blessing tonight to hear what you just heard from the Word of God. That you can submit tonight and change things where other people have not even heard it living half their lives. You don't have to walk down that street one day as that elderly lady wondering, why is my life not good? I can tell you tonight, it's because you're living your way. Be like Job. When the trial comes, you can handle it like Job. Because your mind is changing. Maybe you need to just give yourself, Lord, I've been stuck in a rut here. My mind hasn't been thinking right. I've been, you know, I've been holding on to things that are simply taking the space of what tr- where truth is supposed to be. And I need to let these go so that truth can come in and truly change.